0: We try to have, you know, low rates and have the best service for our customers so they want to stay with us. But we do understand this is a very, very difficult financial time for a certain segment of our population. So we know those people are going to need some time to catch up with any kind of debt they may have whenever all of this uh, COVID-19 situation is over with.
1: Welcome to Episode 407 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. This is Jess Delfiaco, Communications Manager here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Today, Christopher talks with Brian Skelton, president of the Tullahoma Utilities Authority. Brian walks Christopher through some of the history of the Tullahoma Utilities Authority. He explains that they've been operating their network for 12 years now and have reached nearly 4,000 subscribers. He tells Christopher that unlike big companies like Comcast, small providers like his are unable to offer low-cost or free service during the pandemic due to financial barriers. But the Tullahoma Utilities Authority is already providing high-quality, affordable service to their community and is offering flexible bill payment options for anyone who needs them. Christopher and Brian also discuss how the network contributed to local economic growth before the pandemic hit. And Brian shares some advice for communities considering investing in a municipally owned network or pursuing a partnership. Now, here's Christopher talking with Brian Skelton, president of the Tullahoma Utilities Authority.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and I'm talking with Brian Skelton, the president of Tullahoma Utilities Authority. Welcome back to the show, Brian.
0: Thanks, Chris. Good to catch up with you.
2: I think you've had a, a slight promotion since the last time we spoke. You were the head of the uh, LightTube network, I believe, previously, but now you run all the utilities. Is that right?
0: Well, I've actually always ran all the utilities, but we did go through a change. Uh, we became an authority. We used to be Tullahoma Utilities Board, and we became an independent authority of the state. So it's given us a little more flexibility uh, by, by getting out from, I guess, under the direct ownership of the city. We still have a great relationship with the city. They appoint our board members, but we're still uh, you know, a city-owned broadband network and trying to do what's right for our
2: customers. Do you have more flexibility to build to customers who are not in your electric footprint, or is that still a limitation?
0: That is still a limitation by state law, because any governmental-owned entities, and I think cooperatives are under the same restriction, they can only build within the service territory of their electric
2: customers. So let me just ask, It's uh, I think it's 12 years <laughs> of running this network. Wow. Uh, do you, can you give us a thumbnail reminder of how it's gone? Oh,
0: it's, it's, it's gone well. We, uh, going back and just giving a little bit of history. I came to work here in 2006 and our board of directors who, who hired me at the time wanted to look at providing a, a broadband network to the residents of our community. And so they had actually looked at that a, a couple of other times and couldn't get it past the finish line with the city council, but we started looking at that really, I guess, uh, in late 2006 and uh, by early 2007, we had done a uh, customer survey and uh, had prepared, I guess, uh, forward-looking documents as to how we thought the system would operate financially. And uh, we were able to go to the city council um, that winter in 2007 and secure approval from the city. And, uh, and at that point, we had to go to the state and get approval, so we got approval from the state. And by the fall of 2007, Seven. we were already uh, building our fiber optic network. We pretty much had it built out by summer of 2008, and that's when we began customer testing. And so we tested for about six months uh, with uh, active beta testers, and in January of 2009, we uh, actually built our first customer. So we've next, actually been in business now from a financial perspective of building customers a little over 11 years. We built a uh, a passive optic network. It was originally a Wave 7 network. We have since re-updated that system to Calix. That's been in operation now for a couple of years. So the system is running really well. Our goal when we uh, launched with our plan was that we wanted to hit 3,500 customers. Uh, I will say we did not hit that number as quickly as I expected. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit more difficult taking customers away, and we overbuilt Charter. That's the legacy old cable network that's here. We also compete with AT&T, but uh, it took us a little longer than we expected, but we've since passed that number and we're uh, currently at 3,979 customers and we expect to pass 4,000 within the the next few months.
2: Have you seen an uptick in interest um, with the stay-at-home orders and people having a lot more time to think about their internet access?
0: I think so. I know in the month of March we netted 23 new customers in that month, I mean that that being the number of uh, customers we lost versus the number of customers we gained. We are still adding customers through all this. We do have some limitations on what we will do. Our our techs are not installing set top boxes and and TV extension outlets and telephone outlets, but we will put an internet drop in for the customers. Of course, internet continues to be our our only growing utility in terms of the three services we offer through Light Tube. I, I ran these numbers. And I think they're probably pretty reflective of what the industry is seeing. But if you look at the last 12 months, our TV customer numbers have gone down 5.9%. Our phone customer numbers have gone down 6.8%. But our internet customers have gone up 5.2%. Sure. So we are we are growing rapidly with the internet. And, uh, and I think you're exactly right. People are more interested in getting better internet. And the difference in having fiber is, especially if you get outside of our, our entry-level package, you get so much faster upload speeds than any other provider can offer with the fiber.
2: Yeah. Don't make me jealous. I'm, I'm on a cable system myself. <laughs> I'm curious about your internet rates over time. When, when we did analysis of all the Tennessee fiber optic cities, it was, it was quite clear that it was far superior in terms of if you compare your rates to the big cable companies. They seem to increase their, increase their internet service rates all the time, whereas you all did it quite rarely.
0: Right, we have not gone up on our internet rate. We have increased the speeds based on what tier it is. But most tiers have seen at least six or seven increases in speed compared to what we launched with. I remember our lowest launch speed was 10 meg down and one meg up. Of course, this was in 2008. Well, our entry level speed, and we keep this speed down because we've got a low price tier at 39.95 that we really have trouble making money and and making it work at that at that price because we you know, we built a 17 million dollar Fiber network, we have to pay that back. But if you start at that uh, entry level tier of 39.95, is 30 meg down and 5 meg up, then you go to 49.95, you've got 80 meg down, 40 meg up. Then you go to 59.95, you've got 150 meg symmetrical. For 69.95, you've got 300 meg symmetrical, and for 79.95, you've got gig symmetrical.
2: That's it's, every time I, I hear people telling me these sorts of things uh, every week and every time I reflect on my bill <laughs> and it's a uh, it's quite a deal um, leading into that question. Are you seeing a lot of people staying home now in your part of Tennessee.
0: Mm-hmm. Certainly, we're we're just like other parts of the country. We have more people at home. Our school system has been out since uh, when they went on spring break, the middle of March. The governor announced yesterday that he's recommending that they not go back to school until the fall. So you've got students at home doing gaming, and you've got students at home doing online learning. Plus, you've got more parents at home because many of them are not in the central jobs, so they're at home uh, with the kids. There's definitely a lot more usage of the network. It has not stressed our network, I will say that. It's a very robust fiber-to-the-home network. We've got three separate circuits going out to get uh, internet from three different providers, and so we haven't had any issues with delivering the bandwidth that they need. I I will say that typically in the daytime, the network has always been underutilized because our busiest times of, of the day have always been between 7 at night and 10 at night because of the stresses of Netflix and people watching television online versus uh, traditional cable tv it's never been a stress on our system but that's just been our our highest usage and the daytimes have always been very underutilized so today the daytime there's much more traffic on the daytime internet compared to what we used to see but at nighttime i don't know that there's a lot of difference
2: i want to i want to come back to economic development in a few minutes but i want to ask you a couple other questions about COVID-19 related things. One, I think takes advantage of you being in charge of the whole utility because I was having a conversation with some folks in uh, North Carolina that are dealing with small electric utilities. And there's, um, in many parts of the country, there's noble intentions to say no cutoffs of, of telecom, of gas, of electricity for people who can't pay. And, and I've insisted that is a, a good idea if it's uh, accompanied with assistance because utilities like yours can't just see a lot of non-payment and continue to operate. And I'm curious if you just tell me a little bit about the stresses that, that you see as a, as a smaller operator that has to pay its bills.
0: Well, we actually have done the same thing. We implemented a policy across all of our utilities about the middle of March, around the 20th, I believe, that said we will not turn off any customer for non-payment until a certain date. We've extended that date. Now that date is May the 4th. And it may be extended again. But it it's just it's just difficult. I mean, we are we are very fortunate financially. You know, we've made the right decisions. The board has let us do increases on cost. And that's been one hundred percent on cable T V because we haven't increased the cost on telephone or on internet really since we launched uh, over eleven years ago. But we've been able to increase the cost so we've we've kept our an ample amount of reserves and 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 quite frankly, most of our customers are still paying their bills. We are watching it carefully and we definitely have much more at risk uh, subject to disconnection uh, across all of our utilities today than we've probably ever seen. Ever because of the policy that we put in place. Uh, that being said, out of 12,000 utility customers, and I'm talking utilities now rather than light tube itself, I I think, I think we only have less than 5% that are uh, delinquent past the cutoff date. So 95% of our customers at this point are making payments as they should. But that day is going to come to an end where we quit doing cutoffs and customers will be subject to cutoff. But what we will do, and that's, uh, again, some of these things are fluid and we haven't made decisions on on how we're going to do this, but we will give them a certain amount of time to catch up their old bill. But they, they will have to sign an agreement that they're going to agree to pay this much per month over the next so many months to, get caught up in, in everything paid. It does have the potential, you know, to hurt us financially because our, our light tube system itself, we, we operate telecommunication side with about a $6 million budget. I mean, we, we certainly have the ability to be exposed to hundreds of thousands of dollars in bad debt when this is over with. So that will hurt us.
2: And I'm curious, when we look at some of the providers around the nation, they have announced really generous Plans in terms of either very low cost or no cost for some period of months. My reading of Tennessee law is that you're pretty limited in in terms of what benefits you can offer. Are you able to navigate those, or is that a is that a challenge for you?
0: We have not made any consideration on that because we operate it at such a low margin that if we were to say we were going to give a so much of a discount or give something free, I mean, we would be upside down financially very quickly again we try to have you know low rates and have the best service for our customers so they want to stay with us, but we do understand this is a very, very difficult financial time for a certain segment of our population but, uh, because there are a lot of people who have lost income or have had reduced income because their you know, job responsibilities have changed. Maybe they still have a job, but they're only working 25 hours a week rather than 40 hours a week. So we know those people are going to need some time to catch up with you know, any kind of debt they may have uh, whenever all of this. Uh, COVID nineteen situation is over with, but we haven't had any discussions about you know offering lower rates or anything like that.
2: Well, the forty dollars intro rate is certainly lower. I mean, when I look nationally, even among you know the you know the economics of it, it's very hard to to offer anything below fifty dollars a month and uh, be able to continue expansion and, and that sort of a thing. So it's certainly a benefit already.
0: Yes, and and it's our largest plan because most people want the least expensive option that there is uh, available. On top of that, uh, if you do subscribe to video service and also telephone service, we have about an $18 triple play discount that comes into play, so it technically actually reduces that number even more. We we like for people to try to be up on that fifty or sixty dollar plan because we can offer them just what I consider to be super fast, robust internet. That I I understand why people want gig internet. It's great, and in certain applications, there are is noticeable differences, especially if you have a a big household of people using it. But Gosh, if you've got 150 meg symmetrical, that's pretty rock solid for 59.95 a month.
2: Yes, yes, it is. I'm curious when we look at the the business connections. I think one of the it was a great story that was done many years ago from the the uh, Center for the Public Interest. Maybe I think maybe I, I that mean, was it. CPI is in my head. It was um, a guy named Alan who did a I thought a fantastic reporting on it. He talked about the economic gains. And I'm curious, you know, what have you seen lately in terms of your network attracting uh, jobs and economic development before the pandemic shut it all down?
0: Well, it continues to help us attract jobs to this community. I will say, This is more of a retail and office community. It's not a big manufacturing community uh, because we just don't have a lot of land for that. We do have an industrial park and we have a handful of small industries here that employ maybe up to 500 people each. But we we did recently have a call center that located here. I think uh, they've maybe been here six or eight months now. They handle uh, insurance claims. It's an inbound call center, not an outbound call center. And certainly that was a big driver Uh, for them was having access to fiber internet because unfortunately we're not providing their phone service but we are providing the circuit that connects them to their phone service and and that's fine with us because it's brought lots of jobs to our community and we're glad to provide uh, the internet service and or the telephone service and in this case we only have their internet service and But they're able to successfully run a a VoIP service from a company, you know, that we're not affiliated with only because they've got rock solid Internet that's 100 percent dependable.
2: And I I think they actually noted that several times in their press releases and things like that. We have that in our archives.
0: That's very good, yeah. They, they've been a, a great employer, and, and I think they're ramping up to continue to hire more people and grow even more. The one advantage of coming to a community like Tullahoma, certainly even in the even in Tennessee, if you step 65 miles to the north in Nashville, labor rates get much, much more expensive because the cost of living is so much more. So employers can come here and locate qualified people, and then they won't have to pay those exorbitant labor rates that they do in Nashville and get hopefully comparable services.
2: So I'm curious. Now, you've been running this network for a long time. And from what I understand of everyone who runs networks like this, it's a lot of sleepless nights. (laughs) There's all kinds of challenges that pop up. It's frustrating. What makes it worth it to you to have done that for, for this time period?
0: Well, I mean, uh, I, I don't give credit to myself. I mean, I can take some credit for it, but certainly I'll give a lot of credit to the board of directors in 2006 and 2007 who had the forward thinking to say, we need to step out on a limb and take some chances, put some of the ratepayer money at risk and build this network because we have asked. Uh, the local company charter to improve their network and they have not you know, done that to the level that they felt like was adequate. So, uh, And then the people who built this, I mean, we had contractors that came in, we've got a supervisor, a VP of our fiber department. I mean, there's a lot of people who uh, have, have had input on this. We definitely had a lot of sleepless night when we were building it for sure. I would say I got a lot of gray hair that first five years, not only in building it, but trying to make sure we met some financial goals and As I said earlier, we didn't hit 3,500 quite as quickly as I expected us to, but we did stay on track with the financial goals, and that's what I had to always communicate to our board of directors is we're a little bit behind based on what we expected you know, so far as a customer count goes. But we're actually ahead of where we expected to be from a financial perspective, which uh, that was the one that, you know, we needed to be be at least where we expected to be because we had $17 million worth of debt to pay back. We had hired about 10 or 11 full-time equivalent employees to work for our company to run the system. And then we've had other sleepless nights along the way. As I said, we made a conversion from Wave 7 to Calix. That actually went really well. We changed middleware providers on the video side last year. I mean, those things, I guess what we learned when we built the system out is if something's not working. Every vendor wants to point the finger at the other vendor, and it's hard to, to navigate that finger pointing to try to get your end result. But we've, we've been fortunate to work with a lot of good folks, and uh, we've made a lot of bad decisions along the way, and we've tried to share those with people who are following in paths similar to what we have, and, and we've certainly stolen a lot of good ideas from other utilities. You know, Everything we've done is not always original. I'm not, a, I'm not above you know taking a good idea from somebody else and implementing it here.
2: I guess my last question is building off of that in terms of advice for other communities. When you were building it, I mean, fiber was so much better than, than cable. And, and it was obvious that the path offered so much more promise. For communities now, they often still just have one very high speed provider, but the cable is better. It's certainly a lot better than it used to be, reliability, um, things like that. What do you tell communities that come to you for advice in terms of how should they think about the challenge versus opportunity of considering a municipal network or partnership?
0: Well, I think every community has to make their own decision, you know, based on how much risk they're willing to take and and looking at uh, the situation with the cable provider that's incumbent there in that local community. Things have changed a lot. You know, we we offer TV service. We will continue to offer TV service. I would expect 10 years from now we will still be in the TV service because we've we've put a lot of money in building a head end for video and we're not having to spend a lot of money to, to upgrade that and keep it up I mean it's already a sunk cost to us but if you're building a new network you know, do you invest an extra million and a half dollars to build a video network you know maybe not a lot a lot of uh, the electric cooperatives certainly are not doing that they're just doing internet and telephone which allows them not to really put a lot of money in their head in they just put the money in the the outside fiber and the transport itself so I think I think you got to look at you got to look at how much risk you're willing to take I do think that if it's a local community that has a good electric system uh, that's willing to be forward-thinking. I've had to think differently. My board, our employees have had to think differently with our light tube services than we do with our electric water and wastewater. Uh, with, With those electric water and wastewater, customers have no choice. If they want those services, they have to get them from us if they live in our service territory. But with LightTube, we've got to earn their trust, offer a great product, and be better than the competition to get them to leave. And we're not always cheaper. I've always said we're going to price our services to where we can be physically sound and responsible. But we're not in the business to try to make money, but we certainly can't lose money because we we have seven more years to pay on the fiber debt. Seven years from July, we will be debt-free. I mean, that will be a great feeling for our light-tube system to be debt-free. And it will change our operation quite a bit, I think, because we'll, we won't we will have that indebtedness. We may be able to even lower rates at that point because of that. But I I think most communities, if they make the choice to do this... If they're willing to give the operator, uh, the electric system, the city, whoever, the flexibility to think about doing this different than just a regular government operation, they will still continue to be very successful. We, not only in terms of offering services, you know, we have two employees that are almost full time doing a three day a week television news program for us and most of them are delayed, but we televise all of the high school football games, a lot of the basketball games, some of the baseball and softball games, wrestling matches. A large cable provider is not going to do any of those things for us. We televise graduation, we put it on YouTube Live so everybody can see it. We televise the Christmas parade. There are just a lot of things that our Light Tube subscribers are helping pay for that just benefit our community that you won't get from uh, another large cable system. If you're willing to take a little bit of risk and you're willing to give the operator flexibility to operate it more like a business, less like a government, I think you're going to always be successful.
2: Thank you. That's a wonderful note to to leave on. I think it paints a really great picture of some of the, the benefits that can really help you know a town that has a real local identity like that stick together and build on it. I think
0: so too. And As I said, it's been a great experience for us. One of the proudest Uh, statistics that I'm want to tell people is the fact that our churn rate since we've launched has averaged less than 1% per month and you think well that's a pretty good churn rate but what you've got to think about is we've got a community of 10 or 11,000 households and businesses if they move two miles outside of our service territory we can't keep them as a customer but if charter, if they're sitting here with charter, they can move to any of the dozen surrounding towns, and it's not a churn for them because they can still stay with charter. So anytime anybody moves, that's that's our churn. So we've, we've tracked our customers who leave, and consistently, more than 80% of them are churning because they're moving outside of our community, not because they're leaving us to go to another provider.
2: That is, is truly remarkable. And it really, I mean, that's the benefit also of having the transparent pricing. I think people really come to love that, They like the customer service they get, there's there's so many benefits.
0: I think so too. It's a, it's a great service, and uh, but we're, again, thankful to our customers for being faithful to us.
2: Well, Brian, I really appreciate your time. I know that the, um, there's always things that president of major authority like this working with all these different services has going on. So thanks again for talking to us. All right, Chris, good to catch up with you. Take care.
1: That was Christopher talking with Brian Skelton, president of the Tullahoma Utilities Authority. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at media broadbandbits broadband bits. Email us at podcast at with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at community nets. Follow media stories on Twitter. The handle is at media Subscribe to this and the other podcasts from ILSR, building local power, local energy rules, and the composting for community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support, in any amount, keeps us going. Thank you to Arna Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 407 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.